You're joining Molly and Jody as we talk with folks about creativity in Plains Country, what it is and why it matters that we're here doing it. And this is Place Well Tended. This morning, we have Laura Cap with Postscript Press with us today, and we are just so excited to have you with us today, Laura. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. So you're a small business owner in Ashland, Nebraska. We typically have had um, guests on from South Dakota, but when we talk about Plains Country, we're talking about this larger space that doesn't really have a border. Um, And you really exhibit a lot of what we are talking about. You care about small business. You care about stationery and writing and poetry, and you're doing all these things that we're really interested in. Yes. So I grew up near Ashland, which is where my business is now, um, but didn't ever really envision, you know, setting up shop here or living and working here in my future. I I studied English. I had planned to be an English major um, or English professor. And uh, after studying English in college, went off to grad school to pursue that goal. Um, and that's a long story that we can maybe get into more if you want to go down that road. But ultimately, um, my path took some twists and turns and my family ended up returning to about 10 minutes away from where I grew up is the shop as it is now. My parents live in the same house that I grew up in. So that was part of the impetus of coming back to this area. But Ashland itself is about 3000 people. So in some ways, it was a really counterintuitive place to start a business that I hoped would meet, you know, success, <laughs> especially a stationary store, which is a pretty niche business in this <laughs> day and age. But I've been here doing this for about seven years now. And so that's one part of what I do. The shop itself has a, a workshop space and an espresso bar. So we host a lot of events and we do a lot of classes. So it's an educational space as well. And then I also run a poetry subscription service called Poetry by Post. And so that's totally mail-based and it's a, it's a monthly mailing that goes out and I work with a different poet every month, you know, get copyright permissions to reproduce their poem. And then I write uh, a, a letter, one to two page letter, kind of that's part personal essay, part analysis of the poem. And that's a project that I've done on and off for many years now, but I've been kind of tweaking it over time. And this latest version is just started this January, but it's no longer printed by me. And anyway, so I'm just kind of getting that that business up and, and going in a bigger way this year too. So those are the main things that I'm doing. I have three daughters. I've got twins who are 12 and a five-year-old. So they're also a very big part of my life and what I do on a daily basis. And <laughs> Yeah. So we've been here in Ashland for for about seven years now. So Laura, your shop is really, it's more than a shop. You're you're creating some community there with a writing center. You have classes. um, You spur creativity. Tell us about about that, about your shop and your vision for that that space. Uh, absolutely. So when I lived in Iowa City and wanted to be an English professor, um, I, the first semester of grad school, we were just reading so much material so quickly that I really 
like needed to find something to do with my hands or I, I just knew that I wasn't going to make it out alive. So I ended up finding this calligraphy class on the schedule and, um, and that really appealed to me. I had always loved handwriting. I had tried to teach myself a little bit of calligraphy in college, but you know, it was still working with language. It was just slowing it down mm-hmm. to the opposite extreme of what I was experiencing in classes. You know, mm-hmm. I was thinking about words, not only letter by letter, but letters stroke by stroke. And it gave me something that, you know, m- my reading in classes was not, was not giving me. And I kind of continued to take classes through this larger program that I learned about at Iowa called the Center for the Book. Um, it's one of a handful of graduate programs in the country that teaches book arts, which is something that I had never heard of before moving there. And I had always been a creative kid, although like not traditionally skilled in fine arts, I couldn't really draw or paint or sculpt, but I loved color and pattern play. I loved texture. I loved kind of design and layout and that kind of thing. And so to find an area where that intersected you know, with kind of tactile creativity in books was just sort of my happy place. So I was really responding to those classes as I was going through my graduate degree. And also in Iowa City at the time, there were a couple of shops kind of in their downtown district that I really just would love to go spend time in. There was a great stationery shop that's open to this day called RSVP that I loved. Um, but then there was another shop called Home Ec Workshop and they sold fabric and yarn, but it also had this like fun seating area in the middle with a coffee bar and they would, you know, have like muffins and cookies. And they also had this workshop space in the back where they would have sewing classes. So I went there with my mom to make aprons once, you know, I made a bag, I made a bunch of different stuff there. And it was just, you know, it was a retail space, but it was also a community space and an educational Mm -hmm. space. And Um, I just responded so much to that business. I really loved what they were doing. Um, It was educational, but in a really approachable way and in a non-traditional way, you know, that didn't require enrollment in a university, right? Any of that kind of thing. So uh, anyway, I had, you know, still kind of envisioned becoming a professor through all of this. I wasn't really um, intending for that to go any particular direction. but. you know, life intervenes in strange ways sometimes. And when I was writing my dissertation and getting ready to defend it, my husband and I were, you know, feeling trepidatiously ready to start a family. And (laughs) we knew that that process can take a long time. And I'm kind of a worst case scenario thinker. So I'm like, you know, we better get going. And um, it so happened that we, you know, not only got one baby out of the gate, but two. (laughs) I had identical Mm -hmm. twin daughters. while I was revising my dissertation and I defended my dissertation when they were 11 months old. Oh my word. And <laughs> I had seen friends of mine go on the job market and start jobs as assistant professors. And I looked at what they were doing and I looked at these two babies and I did not see how that math was going to work out in mm-hmm. my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and our job market had also tanked. I mean, this was shortly after 2008 and um, there were just not a lot of jobs available and you kind of had to be willing to move wherever they took you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, you know, it so happened at the time that the center for the book where I had been taking all these classes um, was granted master of fine arts status. So it had been a certificate program up until this point. Wow. And um, 
So I thought, well, this sounds crazy because I've been in grad school for, you know, the better part of a decade. But what if I reapply to grad school, (laughs) stay there for a few more years, I can teach in the evening, I can take some classes in the evening, you know, my husband and I can kind of tag team raising these babies and uh, figure out what the next move is. Um, And so it was really, we did that. And in the process of doing that, um, I kind of realized that I wanted a hybrid job where I could work with literature, maybe in some traditional ways, but also um, in these really creative and tactile ways that the book arts were introducing me to. Um, And so, you know, I, I had these other kind of businesses in the back of my mind too, that that I just loved and responded to so much in Iowa City. And so after I got that degree at the Center for the Book, I just, (laughs) you know, it's one of those moments in life where you're like, "Um, I think that I want to have this conversation with my husband, but I don't really know how to tell him that (laughs) I've pursued two advanced degrees, you know, for a decade of my life. And now I don't want to do anything that would require them. Um, for employment, but now I want to just start my own business and and see see where that takes me. But um, he's always been very trusting in me, and uh, you know he he felt good about moving back to Nebraska and giving that a go. So um, I mean that's kind of how the business came to be. I thought about it in the beginning as an experiment. I I kind of went into it. Um, not necessarily counting on it to work, um, as a business, but it was one of those things that was like, well, I really would, you know, this is kind of my dream job, what I was imagining. And I didn't see like where, how my dream job would materialize in other ways. Like it kind of felt like it was up for me to, up Mm -hmm. to me to invent Mm -hmm. it. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how the, the, space came about the way it is. And the educational part of it, I mean, since I spent my entire career up to this point in school, education has always been really important to me. And that's something that I wanted to provide, especially because, you know, I loved books growing up and I was a creative kid and I was, you know, 22 years old when I understood that something called book arts existed in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that that's a, a field that many people know about or have been exposed to. And so to, you know, to have a shop that sells, you know, things related to book arts is one thing, but then to help people discover that too for themselves who might have a similar constellation of interests, um, you know, has been really fun. And, you know, as we live in such heavily digital environments these days, you guys have seen this, you know, people crave learning how to do things with their hands. Um, it's something that we sort of long for and miss. And so, yeah, workshops have been wonderful because there are people who are lining up to learn calligraphy and who want to learn how to bind mm-hmm. books and just need, you know, need instructors to show them how. So yeah, that, that component of the business is really important to me. That was a long-winded answer to your question. That's wonderful. I'm really fascinated by this, the concept of book arts. So can you tell us what all is included in, in book arts? Yeah. I mean, so it kind of encompasses any, you know, historic craft that would have been used to produce a book. So the okay. Center for the Book at the University of Iowa, they have 
you know, many classes in each, um, you know, kind of discipline. So I, I took probably five or six different calligraphy classes. They have, you know, bookbinding classes. They teach paper making. They teach letterpress printing. There's also kind of more academic courses in the history of the book um, and artist bookmaking. You, you know, in many of the classes, you spend a lot of time in special collections looking at both historic books and kind of modern letterpress printed small edition um, type books. And so it's really eye opening because, you know, the average person is only ever encountering mass produced books, right. you know, that um, look a certain way and feel a certain way and all kind of resemble each other. So it kind of blew my mind wide open to see like, mm-hmm. oh, all these different things that a book could be. Um and all these different ways in which, you know, reading can be engaged in ways that I hadn't really thought about or imagined before. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's an amazing program. I can't say enough about it. It's, it's yeah, a wonderful place. And they just keep growing and kind of getting more students and more of a presence at the University of Iowa, too. So that's awesome for them. I just read this week that the University of Iowa's I forget if it's the writing program or the, is it a school of writing? I'm not sure. But for that overarching category is, was rated um, first in the country uh, as far as oh. writing. And yeah. it has been a stronghold for, for writing mm-hmm. and book arts for a long time. It is. It's special. It's a very special place. And I think because of the success of the workshop, you know, it's, it's been such a magnet for writers and people who love literature that, you know, really all the writing and the writing programs are strong. Like the, mm-hmm. the English doctoral pro- program that I was in was great. Um, and, you know, the community itself is just very full of writers and um, big readers. The That's what I'm wondering, people. right? If town yeah. itself is kind of builds itself around that because you have that strong presence in the school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have gone to a reading every night of the week when I lived there, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Schedule allowed. So it's it's a super special place for, for yeah, people who are interested in literature. So there's some kind of question that I, um, I want to ask that is threading through all of this, um, and I'm not sure exactly how to phrase it, so I'm just going to dive in and, and see if I can uh, make sense of what I'm thinking. But your online presence and your newsletters um, have a very, I don't want to say academic aspect to them, but they have very, um, there's a lot of heart. There's a lot of, of thought um, and, and essence that, that is in them, right? And you're operating a storefront, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily lend itself to slow pace and to um, deep thought and, you know, all of that. Can you talk to that a little bit? And I think you already have a bit, but I, I just talk about that a little bit more. How, if that's just something that naturally happens because of who you are, but this, this combining, it almost feels like combining of worlds, right? Mm-hmm. That feels very unique. And I think that's what drew me to um, Postscript Press when I came across it online. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. In some ways, it's funny to me that I ended up running a storefront or a retail business because a that's not that was never like a childhood goal of mine Mm -hmm. b i have kind of major problems with (laughs) 
the way that capitalism kind of infuses our culture uh, to the degree it does. And, you know, and we live in a super debt ridden society. And so there's a lot of guilt too in running a retail space that's like, I need people to buy things here in order for this business to even survive. And I, you know, I have joked before in blog posts that like we need signs that say like shop owners for responsible consumerism because (laughs) I'm not a shop owner who's just like, I want to make a buck at any cost. And so it's really important to me to, you know, treat customers as human beings, first and foremost, like not as credit cards, not as a vehicle Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. a sale for me. And, you know, the kinds of, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, thinking about this and wrestling with this, Molly, but the kinds of things that I choose to sell in my shop, I think are all, you know, they're, they're high quality objects made with heart by small independent makers like ourselves, Mm -hmm. but they're also vehicles for things that I think we all need as human beings. So like I sell stationery and greeting cards because we as human beings need to connect with people that we love and there's meaning in doing that. And it brings, you know, us closer to other people in our lives. I sell picture books uh, because I think that like books are an amazing, picture books, especially these amazing artworks that you can put into the hands of a child and Um, that too, I mean, it not only facilitates imagination for young people, but facilitates relationships between caregivers and children. I mean, parents don't want to sit down and read books to kids if they're sort of boring nonsense, right? Like (laughs) you want it to be engaging for the adult and the relationship too. And, um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, the kinds of books I choose, I think really facilitate those kinds of relationships and, and, you know, educational manuals for learning our own skill sets. It, the things that I try to bring into my shop are things that I think are going to enhance the quality of a person's life who picks that up and takes it home with them. And so even though they are material objects, it's not, a, the focus is not really on just the buying and selling of goods. It's on, you know, sort of this bigger goal of how to kind of elevate our daily experience of living and how to improve, you know, our own relationships and our own creativity and make space for that. And so I do wrestle with it, but I think I try really hard in my shop communications to just make sure that customers know that this is a space that values them as people Mm -hmm. and wants to provide things that give us the best versions of ourselves uh, as opposed to just like trying to make sales. I mean, it's a, it's a different philosophical approach that I hope infuses what I do. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, makes it possible for me to, um, yeah, to, to kind of ethically sit in a space of like commerce and retail business. Yeah. Right. You use the word ethically, and the word that I'd been thinking of was authenticity, which kind of makes me cringe because it's a word that gets thrown around a lot. But there's um, definitely an authentic nature to what you're doing, and it's evident. I haven't even been in your shop, 
And but I read your newsletters, I see your Instagram posts, and there's something just very authentic about that. I want to read you just a quote of something you you wrote a while back, if that's okay. okay. <laughs> We're okay. Come back to you. Okay, uh, this has been just a, a while back, um, but you wrote a post about consuming. And the idea of particularly Instagram, but social media kind of driving what we do. You wrote, last week, I wrote some entirely transparent sentiments about running a retail shop in a society that is debt-ridden and full of disposable goods. It's a tough thing to admit because I don't for one second want to suggest I'm ungrateful for our amazing customers and shop friends. Quite the opposite. I'm flooded with gratitude for all of the extraordinary people I've met through the shop biggest and best surprise involved in running a storefront, hands down. And when you're obsessed with paper and pens and desk and office goods, it's important to remember that a stationary shop is heaven. It's one thing, in my opinion, to let my audience know what's in my shop through social media marketing. It's another to constantly impose the message to shop. Awareness is great, pressure not so much. I think a lot of people who follow you felt so much, yes, same. Right. And that's mm -hmm. a very, it's a very tricky thing, I think, for makers mm -hmm. of any kind, whether you're making a space or making things, objects. Jody and I have talked about this. You're just adding more to an already more world. And yet it's something that you're passionate about, right? You're talking about selling stationery, which is really about encouraging people to connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I have such a, a love-hate relationship with Instagram these days. I, I still am on it and I still use it. And um, I think that it, you know, the, the connection that it allows between people like us who would ever, otherwise mm -hmm. not really have a, a great way to access each other's work and speak to each other, it allows that, but it has become such a hyper-commercial space compared to what it was when it first started as an app that mm -hmm. um, I just I just really struggle with the emphasis on that. And I mean, and reels, I mean, we could go down a rabbit hole talking about <laughs> right. that, but, you know, still photography is such a different medium from video mm -hmm. content. And, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I think that the, we feel like the the message that we should be putting out into the world is like, pay attention to me, shop here. And, you know, to open your inbox in the morning and have like a dozen emails all from different retail businesses, like promoting sales and like encouraging you to shop there. I don't know about you. It just like makes me feel exhausted <laughs> to even have to like sift through all of that. And it's, you know, these are all bids for attention that we put out into the world when we're putting up an Instagram post or sending out an email newsletter. And like attention is our, and time, like it's our most precious resource yeah. as human beings, right? And I think that we don't think enough about the fact that we're, we're make we're putting demands on people with every um, communication that we put into the world. Like that's a little bit of their attention that they're never going to get back. Mm -hmm. And so is it, is it worth they're while <laughs> like, mm -hmm. are you giving something to them that's valuable or are you just kind of trying to take something for yourself? And I think that, um, I mean, I wish that more retail businesses would think about this in the way that they communicate because, um, it, it just does, I think it creates a lot of exhaustion. I think what you're saying about just the amount of content out there, it, 
it's overwhelming. And I think a lot of people just churn it out because that's what we do now. And you see other people doing it around you. And so you just kind of join the fray without necessarily knowing what is my purpose behind this. Like if I'm going to dance on a video for Instagram, like what's my end game there? Like, am I improving my customers' lives? Am I improving my life? Am I sort of getting closer to some sort of communicative goal that I have? Or am I just kind of mindlessly like putting content into the world that is, you know, just kind of participating in the, the current stream as it exists around us. And so uh, I mean, I think that the reason that I care about that for the people who have decided to join my newsletter list and the people who have decided to join my feed is that I feel so exhausted by the content that is in the world and in front of our eyeballs all the time that like, I just want to be really careful about <clears throat> how I contribute to that and just make sure that I'm always trying to think about the person on the other side. I mean, is mm-hmm. this something that's going to is this a little snippet of your attention that's going to make your day better in some way? Or is this just me feeling the pressure to put something out in the world so that nobody mm-hmm. forgets about me? You know what I right. mean? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I just feel like it, it comes from a different philosophical place. And yeah, just thinking about people's attention and time and really trying to honor that as opposed to take it um, is, is something that matters a lot to me. Mm-hmm. You seem to create a place of rest, a moment to just breathe, and you are very intentional about what you put, what you put out, and then what that creates in the lives of other people. And I think that's your thoughtfulness is needed, and and I know I appreciate that. We are so overstimulated, over information. We're just bombarded from every direction. You wrote a blog post about needing silence and Mm -hmm. having (laughs) that, you know, that space. And as, as a mom that can, can you talk about silence and the value of quiet? Mm -hmm. I have a, (laughs) I have a son that is very auditory sensitive. So he, my daughter plays volleyball. And before we enter, we put ear covers on because the over stimulation is just, is just too much for him. And I think about that too, as an adult, how just all of the, the overstimulation. And so sometimes just the calming of quiet. So yeah. So if you could share with us about that need for quiet time and space. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, that's something that I like about my shop too, is that it, it and why, why I like that it's in a small town, you know, we, we get less foot traffic. And so generally speaking, you know, on your average day, there might be like one to two people here looking around and they can kind of have peace and quiet as they mm-hmm. do that. And there are certain times when like, maybe it's a Saturday and maybe there's an event going on in town and like, you might get 15 people in the shop and suddenly it's a totally different atmosphere and it's not the same kind of quiet and contemplative space that I want for it to be. So, um, 
you know, I don't really think about opening a second location, but the times that I have, it's been like, man, we got to cut down on the traffic. <laughs> Too many people in the store. <laughs> I don't, I, I need it to be quieter for everybody. Um, yeah. I mean, as somebody who has spent a good part of my life, like reading and writing, you know, silence is so important. Silence is important for me to really like engage with a book and give it my concentrated attention. And it's also like absolutely necessary for my ability to, to compose writing too. And, you know, I, I try to start my day at the shop by writing a letter. So I'll get here around mm-hmm. like eight fifteen, eight thirty, but the shop doesn't open until 10. And so I try to take that first hour to just have coffee, you know, light a candle, just like sit in silence and then write a letter to somebody. And um, I mean, to me, it's the cliche that like, you really just can't hear yourself think when you're bombarded with exterior noise Mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like listening to other people talk and watching things and like, they're all important ways of inspiration and, you know, information. And, but I feel like we desperately kind of need to counterbalance that with time where we can just hear ourselves and hear kind of what rises to the surface when there's nothing else competing for our attention. And again, like coming back to that word attention, like we need, we need to give ourselves space and time to understand like what we're even paying attention to. And, um, and I mean, I think that for me, giving myself that kind of interior space on a regular basis throughout my life has allowed me to listen to intuition, listen to sort of gut checks that, you know, um, maybe I wasn't going down exactly the path that was best for me. And maybe I needed to kind of shift a little bit or try something new. I think it's really easy to get caught up in the scripts that life hands us um, Mm -hmm. and just pursue those without paying attention to what's inside. Um, and I think that I could have lived a different version of my life following a more standard script and, you know, probably had a good life doing it, but I don't think it would have been as full of an expression of who I am inside and kind of what I have to give to the world. And I think that, um, you know, silence on a daily basis is just good for your own, like brain to form memories and kind of organize thinking but as a pattern over the longer term, I think silence just allows us to listen to ourselves and to kind of have, have honest conversations with ourselves about how we feel about our own lives and where we sit within them. And, and that can be the best guide, I think, to helping us make choices that, you know, that take us down like the best possible path for ourselves that allow us to be the best possible version of ourselves. And, and that's how, those are hard things to do. Like it's, I didn't know anything about running a business before I, I started this. I, I had been in school my whole life, like thinking about becoming a teacher. Like that was something that I knew Mm -hmm. that was, those were steps that I kind of knew how to take. I had no idea how to do this. (laughs) I I ended up going to therapy for a while just because I was so freaked out by a, like, what if this thing fails? Like, that would be really embarrassing. And how would I even deal with that as, mm-hmm. you know, as a middle-aged woman? And B, like, <laughs> I don't want to be a, a 
people manager. I don't necessarily want to like be in charge of people and have employees and like, what if it doesn't fail, but what if it's like successful and I have to do those things? And so anyway, I, I just think that like silence allows us to hear ourselves. And sometimes in the hearing, we, um, realize that like we need to kind of bravely take a step in a different direction than what we've been going or what, you know, the standard script is. And, um, I think that just allowing quiet in your life has been really important for me to, yeah, figure out how to get to where I am. And I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am. So I feel feel good, feel good that I landed here. (laughs) That's so good. Do you have any practices that you use with silence? Um, Asking for a friend. Tiny bit. (laughs) I have, you know, I have done yoga on and off over my life and I really like it and wish that it were a daily practice, but it's, it's not a daily practice for me. We don't have a yoga studio here in town and I'm kind of wretched at like doing it on my own in my own space, but I, the two formal things that I tend to do are take a bath every morning for an hour before my family gets up and read. And that's not total silence. I mean, like you're communing mm-hmm. with a book, right? But, but even just like the physical quiet, I think it's really, it's a, it's a good way for me to start my day and kind of helps me feel centered and grounded. And then, like I said before, the kind of practice of starting the day by writing a letter to somebody Again, it's not sitting meditatively in like, yeah. you know, utter silence, but again, like it's a, it's quiet and it's, um, kind of allows that you have to sit there and think about like, what is on my mind this morning? What do I want to mm-hmm. say to somebody? What, um, and think about them and the position they're in. And so I, I feel like those mm-hmm. kinds of questions are always kind of good gut checks and, um, mm-hmm. just a chance to kind of assess what's happening internally. I have a question just to change it up real quick. The one I've been wanting to ask, uh, if you had one, uh, item to pull you out of a funk stationary item in your shop, out of your shop, what's your go-to? To To pull me out of a funk. Um, you know, when you just want, like, you just kind of need a treat. You just need, you just, (laughs) you just want something, something fun to sit down with. Um, I mean, I love a good wax seal, (laughs) so that might be the thing. Like if I were going to treat myself to something, it would be like a new design for a wax stamp to add a, (laughs) a beautiful seal. Yeah. Yes. Favorite pen or writing utensil? Um, we've got these really great little gel pens are not even that expensive, but they just write beautifully. They're called Odo's, O-H-T-O, Arrays. Those are kind of my new favorite daily pen. Um, We also carry Le Pens, which just Mm. are eyeliners that come in a ton of different colors, and I love those too. Um, I also, like for my daily letter writing, I just actually use, I'm going to show you guys because you're on camera, but you know, people can't see this. I just use like a dip pen. It's not really calligraphic. It's just um, a monoline dip pen, but I use, my uncle made me some walnut ink. So I just dip this in walnut ink and that's what I use to write my letters. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. That's and awesome. Letter writing, I think letter writing is, you know, a fun act in and of itself, but if you kind of get into the accessories, like the wax seals and 
dip pens and stuff, it can feel really special and really sensory and just kind of be a super fun way to experiment with different kinds of um, tools than you're used to using in your daily life. So yeah. Yeah. There was a calligraphy instructor that I once took a workshop with who said that ballpoints were basically like (laughs) the death of handwriting. And (laughs) that's what we're all used to using are kind of like crummy ballpoints that you find in a junk drawer. And so to use like good pens is kind of a revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I noticed that does, when I sit down to my journal, better. if I, I can't find my favorite pen and I have to just grab a cheap ballpoint pen, I'm just like, I feel like I'm almost yeah, desecrating it's, the it's space. Like the whole <laughs> it's like my favorite <laughs> pen is what deserves to be in this space because it's special, special time. Yeah. Jody, what is your favorite? Oh, I I just have some favorites. And you know what? Actually, they're they are ballpoint, but they were just gifted to me. And they're just really heavy. And I love that feel mm-hmm. of that heaviness in my hand. And it feels substantial. I feel like that weight creates a presence. Yeah. 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 So, there are I I there are a lot of good ballpoints I like too. I don't necessarily agree with that guy. The ballpoints really <laughs> right. um, I just think it's funny, and I do think that there are there's a range of ballpoints that can be had. And then if you haven't ever tried anything outside of ballpoints, like you should because you know, you know there's a lot that we miss out on regularly if we don't experiment with other things. Yes. And just yeah, I mean quality paper, quality tools in general. Mm. It's, are are pretty revelatory to use if you're not used mm-hmm. to using them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I have a friend is a bookbinder and so she has created journals and I have several of hers and there's definitely a something to holding that journal and writing in that that is very different because you know that it's just been handcrafted and the signatures have been thoughtfully placed together and then the art on the cover. And so as you, you know, talk about book art and the writing process, how writing in, in a work of art is different than writing Mm -hmm. in a manufactured journal that I got for a buck at the dollar store, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. yeah, yeah, and I, I think kind of going back to this idea of like, you know, how do we access like the best pos- possible version of ourselves? I think we all have this like ideal version of mm-hmm. ourselves in our brain, and then we have like the self that walks through the world, you know, living the way that we do. And I just like want in my own life, and I want all of us as humans to be able to close that gap between like what mm-hmm. we imagine our ideal, yeah, ideal self to be mm-hmm. doing and what our real self does. And so, yeah, I know exactly what you mean that like when you um, use something that like speaks to you more fully than like a manufactured dollar Mm -hmm. journal from wherever, like it, Mm -hmm. it feels like it pulls that better version of yourself out that everything is kind of rising. You're rising to this occasion of this really special handmade journal um, in a way that doesn't feel you're not called (laughs) the same way to do that when you're writing and a mass manufactured, you know, notebook. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about Ted Kuzer. Sure. 
So he, and I tried to go back and find this, couldn't find it. I'm sure I just was overlooking it, but you had written um, a newsletter about a letter that included, I actually, I think I printed it out because it was so good and I put it in my studio. That's where I should have looked, forgot until just now. Um, And you print out the really good stuff, right, to keep. But he had written you, the store, a letter about the value of, what you're doing, as as I recall, what you're doing and the value of letter writing and how it's so different from other forms of communication, that a piece of you travels across mm-hmm. land by, you know, train, by boat, whatever, to get to another place and, and it's held in, their, in the hands by someone else that you care about. Um, it was, I, I'm horribly um, recounting this because he just stated it so beautifully, but you're in communication with someone like that. What's it like to get encouragement about this thing that's so important to you? What's it like to to be in communication about the thing that you like with someone who has that kind of, um, carries that kind of space? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is honestly like why I gravitate toward poets because poets are just the best people and they're the most like generous people. <laughs> he he's just like a generous soul and he um he's been such a, a great supporter of me in the shop and I really I just adore him so much. He is like the most amazing letter writer. I think I I don't know how many letters he writes on a daily basis, but it's a lot and he's always really He's always gift giving with his letters too, which is really kind. Like he'll send a poem, a printout of a poem that he wrote this morning, you know, and it's not necessarily anything I think that takes him an exorbitant amount of time in his daily life, but it's just that little bit of attention that he sends out into the world. You know, it's, it's a gift that he gives to somebody else, you know, constantly every day of his life um, by, by sending letters out and, you know, he, <clears throat> I think, is really the inspiration for my Poetry by Post project because I don't know if you know this, but when many years ago, when um, he was writing, teaching and writing and whatnot, he would do a poem every year for Valentine's Day. And he had this, this uh, list of addresses that he would send it to. And <clears throat> I think by the time he got to the end, you know, there were thousands of mostly women on this list that he would send a Valentine postcard <laughs> to every February. And they always had like a little red heart sticker on them. But my family was on the list because my my dad owned an advertising agency and Ted Kuzer used to work for this insurance company in Lincoln and they had worked together. So they kind of had this working relationship and our family was on you know, Ted Kuzer's Valentine postcard recipient list. But so I was a kid at the time, but every year when these Valentine postcards came, I just thought that was the most special thing, Um, you know, ever to cross my eyeballs. I, you know, I just (laughs) loved them so much and I would squirrel them away. Um, I'm, I, I wish that I had been better about like knowing where I put them because I will find them randomly in places from time to time Mm -hmm. when I look through old stuff. But, um, that feeling of getting this beautiful piece of writing in the mail kind of as this surprise out of the blue, um, was so magical to me that 
I, I mean, that's kind of what spurred my love of poetry. My dad is a big poetry lover mm-hmm. too. So I know that I got that from him as well, but um, that kind of intersection of like poetry and mail and, you know, you're usually gathering the mail in private and you're kind of looking at it kind of as an individual activity. And so um, the way that an out of the blue communication can arrest your attention and be sort of this like moment of, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, su- surprise and delight and emotion. Like, you know, yeah. poetry carries a lot of emotion and to have this kind of unexpected emotional experience because of some surprise you got in a mailbox was like such, it was just such a magical thing to me that, that I know that that experience is kind of what led to Hmm. my desire to send poems to people in the mail and hopefully give them the same kind of experience when they open that up. But yeah, Ted is, he's a friend of mine and I love him dearly and it just means the whole world to have his support in what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can see how that would be true. And like I said, the the (laughs) words that he said um, to you had this beautiful way of then spiraling outwards when you shared it with the world via your newsletter. Um, Mm -hmm. Laura, do you want to share with folks how they can join Poetry by Post? Sure. Um, We we use a website that it's built on a subscription platform just because that makes it kind of the easiest to manage from this end. Mm -hmm. So the URL is poetryxpost.com and you can sign up there for, you know, an ongoing monthly subscription that you can cancel at any time. And you also can do gift subscriptions. And if you select that, it will give you options for like one month, three months, six months, or Mm -hmm. a year. We'll we'll make sure that we include that in the, in the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, this has just been so delightful to visit with you, Laura, and to really get that sense of the rooted intention and purpose that you have in the work that you do. And so because of that, I'm eager to hear your answer to our question that we close with. And that is, what is it you believe that you are here to do? Yeah, here in life. <laughs> yeah. 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 Here in life. Here in Washington. Well, um, gosh, that's a big question, you guys. <laughs> uh, I think that, you know, when I try to kind of boil down what my major goal is in the world, it's really just kind of constantly comes back to uh, chasing beauty for myself. I feel like I'm always kind of just chasing after beauty and then trying to put it back into the world in the ways that I know how, you know, Molly knows I was just in Paris for a week. It was the first time I had ever been there. And the the setting of that city itself is just like so beautiful every way you turn and every detail. I mean, even like the trash cans in my hotel room were like ceramic (laughs) pots as opposed to like these kind of ugly plastic bins. And Mm -hmm. I think that like, you know, beauty elevates our lives for starters, just like the experience Mm -hmm. of being alive on a daily basis is more enjoyable when we're surrounded by beautiful things. But it obviously also, you know, things that feel beautiful to us inside, like connection with people, like, um, you know, feeling 
like you're uh, getting closer to who you are and who you want to be. Like there's a beauty in that too. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I feel like my contribution as I see it is just to uh, try to contribute beauty to the communities around me, you know, to my daughters, Mm -hmm. to my family, to my um, town that I'm living in now and my community online. And, and I think that when we do that, like we inspire other people to make those kinds of choices in their own lives too. I mean, I've definitely Mm -hmm. like been inspired to make brave and challenging choices by people who I admire and look up to. And, you know, that has kind of helped me to live what I think is a happier and more fulfilled life. And yeah, I think that like, we just don't, we don't have enough permission in our society to, to do that and to experiment Mm -hmm. and to um, try things out and maybe fail at them. And there's, I think we live in a world that feels so laced with judgment and, um, and worry about like, well, what are you going to do financially if that doesn't work Mm -hmm. out? And how are you going to, you know, this, that, and the other, and why would you waste this time that you put toward this goal and not use it Mm -hmm. for anything? Mm -hmm. Like we're such Mm -hmm. a pragmatically minded society that I feel like it can be stifling to us as human beings sometimes. And it keeps us from pursuing things that we might want to try, or we might, you know, dream about just because we're afraid. And so I think that like seeing other people live their lives in a way that kind of acknowledges the fear that's there, but works through it and just tries Mm to Mm -hmm. proceed anyway, it's, it's pretty life-giving to me to have those examples in my life. And I, you know, that's, I mean, I feel like this whole shop, this whole life that I'm living is, is an experiment. And I think honestly, like if it ultimately fails at some point, like it won't have felt like a failure to me because it's done so many good things for myself and I hope for the communities around me. And so, yeah, I think, I think my contribution and what I feel like I can give is to just try to be one of those people who is willing to experiment and make uncomfortable choices in the hopes that it allows other people permission to do the same and, you know, hopefully find greater happiness um, and peace within their own lives. Mm. That's really great. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a, it's been a treat to have you on. Uh, Well, thank you guys. It's so nice to be asked and really wonderful to chat with you. And I want the second and third hour where you can answer the same questions. Right. Uh, Seriously. Thank you. It's, it's really an honor to, to have a conversation like this with you. So thanks. No, you're so welcome. Honor to have you. Thanks for listening. We believe in creative work for the love of a place. Here's to doing our part to keep this place well-tended. Know of someone you'd love to hear from? Send us your ideas. Want to find out a little more about one of our guests? Follow Place Well Tended on Instagram.